This is the Live United Weekly Podcast. I'm Matthew Gleason, and today we are celebrating Veterans Day. And to do that, our guests are Rachel Runfola from Community Service Council, which is a proud Tulsa Area United Way partner agency. And Rachel is over Community Service Council's Supportive Services for Veterans Families, which is a rapid rehousing program funded by the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs Supportive Service for Veteran Families Grant. Formerly known as Barracks for Vets, SSVF uses the Housing First model to provide temporary intervention and short-term assistance to very low-income veteran families who are experiencing homelessness or are facing eviction. And our other guest is Joshua Starks, who actually is in charge of the Tulsa Veterans Day Parade and is a past commander of the Tulsa VFW. And Rachel and Josh are both veterans, so I want to thank them both for being here and for their service. Rachel, welcome to the Live United podcast. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. So give our audience some context about all the amazing work that you and Community Service Council are doing, especially on this Veterans Day. Well, my name is Rachel Runfola. I am a a six-year Air Force veteran from a long, long time ago. Um, And recently in 2014, I went to work for Community Service Council, working for a program at the time called Barracks for Vets. People might recognize that old name. We subsequently changed it to update it to the name that the Department of Veteran Affairs actually calls it, Supportive Services for Veterans Families, or the acronym SSVF. So I've been associated with that, that program and the director of that program since uh, 20, late 2014. That program helps homeless and those veterans facing imminent eviction. We help them to uh, either find stable housing or to ensure that they don't lose their housing through paying for, for rents and stabilizing them until they can pick that rent back up. It is difficult for veterans coming back. Too many end up experiencing homelessness. Too many have post-traumatic stress disorder, among other challenges. But in 2014, you know, you kind of stepped onto the front lines to ensure that no veteran is experiencing homelessness because they shouldn't, right? Any resources available and, and especially as much as they've given to our country, it's the least that we can do to provide them a safe place for them to, you know, walk their path to recovery. But tell me about 2014, some of those eye-opening realizations that you had about the state of veteran homelessness and mental illness. So one of of the things that was really eye-opening for me was how how many veterans are actually homeless? And then how many of those veterans, as I've continued with this program, how many of them are really experiencing mental health issues as, as well as substance abuse issues. And to me, that looks like a lot of self-medicating. A lot of individuals were discharged from the service with general discharges or other than honorable discharges. And I think, um, I think that probably facts bear this out as well, that a lot of that was of, of dealing with traumatic situations and not having the support necessarily that they required. And so it was easier to discharge them and send them, send them out than to really work with them. They, I think they looked, they looked at them as a disciplinary issue rather than that they were really suffering from mental health issues, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, which that's not anything 
that not anybody else would, you know, could, could suffer from as well. But there's a stigma that if you're in the service, you shouldn't. And that's really not fair to those individuals. What's different about 2014 to 2021 is in 2014, we saw a lot of individuals that really just needed that hand up. They came in and they might need a couple months worth of rent or a deposit or something to really restabilize. And they were on their way. And what's happened now, we see a lot more individuals who are really struggling with constant income issues, a lot of other barriers, incarceration, again, mental health, substance abuse, you know, all sorts of issues that really require a lot more community resources to really help stabilize that individual. All right. So Josh, just give people how you got to where you are now. Yeah. Well, I grew up here in Tulsa, you know, just real quick and went to Rogers High School, went to work uh, out at the plant at uh, Boeing, uh, working building airplanes and then 9-11 struck, uh, hit the aviation industry. So I stepped off and joined the Oklahoma National Guard after 9-11. Uh, went in there and uh, started out enlisted. And after I was there for a while, they asked me if I had to cross over. So I became an officer in the infantry and then stepped off to command and went to Afghanistan in 2011 through 12. Uh, I was a combat outpost commander out in uh, at Ramakil, uh, at in uh, Gardez uh, district. And uh, from there, uh, we got back home, uh, started having some, you know, rough times integrating. I think we all did after that deployment. And I was brought to the VFW. And, and after I got brought in here, the, the Vietnam veterans really, really kind of wrapped around me. They were telling me stories that I had lived through and they had lived through 50 years earlier. And uh, I didn't even have to open my mouth and they were already helping. I really responded to that well. And I've been here ever since. We turned around this, this historic building uh, is 100 years old. So when we found the history of this building, we just fell in love with it. A lot of us that came back from Afghanistan and the history that's here and the history of Tulsa that's been trapped in this building, which is just a big extraordinary. And then on top of that, we got veteran services as well. You know, we, uh, we do 274 claims annually, uh, through our service office. We average about $14,000 a claim, uh, coming into a veteran for new or previously denied benefits. And so in an annual year with our, with our operation off about $130,000 year budget, we do $3.68 million veterans benefits coming back to Tulsa. And so we keep track of those metrics and run those through, and we've been stacking that for years. So, you know, the impact that we're making on the community, the impact we're making for the lives of our veterans and their ability to receive the benefits that, that they've earned through their service and through their injuries, you know, that's really where we focus on. And what is your official title? You know, there's a lot of. Yeah, I'm, uh, I stepped in, uh, I was asked and took the job as a human rights commissioner of city of Tulsa for the veterans. Uh, so I kind of run the, the title five side of that for the city and let them know anything that's for that going on there, uh, at the VFW, I'm a past post commander. I was a commander for three years and then for the Tulsa Veterans day parade for the last five years, I've been the chair for that and the op and the ground operations commander. Uh, so for the last five years, I've been running the Tulsa veterans day parade and keeping us going and strong. Rachel, tell me how you know Josh and why you appreciate what he does for our community. Well, I, I know him from the parade. Uh, I mean, it's really, really well run. So he he must have almost wanted to be a drill sergeant at one time. But he he came in the early days of another uh, networking program that community service has gotten off the ground called Unite Oklahoma. And he came and, and told us, gave us his story and why it's important to really collaborate, coordinate services clear across the board and really clear, clear across Oklahoma, not just the Tulsa area. And his story is just so phenomenal. 
you know, like I was telling you before, Matt, you know, my time in the service, it really pales in comparison. And it's, it's really people like Josh that are really true, true to me, patriots, veterans, whatever you want to say that he, he put the time in there to, 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 you know, he deserves anything and everything he gets. Nice. And then Josh, tell me how you met Rachel. Uh, well, first off, Rachel, thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Yeah. That it wasn't expecting that. So thank you. That, that touched my heart. The, uh, no, Rachel, I first met the community service council and the, you know, when I first got into the veterans world and when I got back and got out of service, like Rachel was there and, and her and the staff down there have always done an amazing job. Uh, they're always really good at, uh, kind of being the, the spoke for the wagon wheel. And so you have all of these services all the way around and the community service council is really amazing at connecting all of us together and making sure that we have those cross communications. And Rachel's really key in that, you know, like we get so trapped in our own, like one thing that we focus on that we forget to look up and see around us. And the community service council absolutely makes sure that we do that. They get in with 211 and they will, as soon as you call 211, they set that program up uh, to where if they have a veteran that calls in, they immediately get separated off to the side and have special services just for them to make sure that they have a rapid assistance team that helps them, which is just extraordinary. I know they were, they had a hand in making sure John 316 had beds available all hours of the night in case a veteran got pulled in, which is not the case for everybody out there. So we have a veteran that comes in and goes to the day center for the homeless and it's after hours, John 316 will still get them a place. And then from there, they'll go to the barracks or wherever. And that community service council has their hand in everything. And they're making sure that the, the crosstalk and the communication of those pieces really stays and stays up to date. Uh, what Rachel and community service council do is really critical to our community. So I was in Afghanistan from 11 to 12. Uh, you know, I left, uh, my total time away from home, uh, was pretty close to two years. I was in Afghanistan for about 10 months, but just transition in there and train up and, and coming back home. I left my son when he was three. Uh, I didn't see him again until he was five. That was a real hit. Like, uh, you know, that I tell people all the time, they don't really understand service and, and going away and coming back. What I can say is simply as this, is that when I left, my son would say, dad, hungry, hungry. I'd be like, yeah, you want a sandwich? He's like, yes. And I'd go in there and make a sandwich. We'd have this great moment. It'd be awesome. When I got back from Afghanistan, I was like, hey, you hungry? And he's like, yes. And I started walking in and he says, hey, dad, don't forget the cheese this time. And I about dropped to my knees and cried because I realized how much I had lost and how far he had come because I stepped out of that house at one point in time and I was walking back into it at that same point, but everybody else had grown you know, and had moved on and it becomes very challenging. And, and I, and I think that a lot of that gets missed in our veterans community. Wow. So, uh, Josh, the people that you served with, you know, are probably people that Rachel serves. Do you have any of those personal stories about somebody that you knew who ended up experiencing homelessness because of their untreated mental health issues? What I can tell you is what I have seen. And what I have seen is that when a veteran's ready to come in out of the cult, a lot of times our homeless veterans community, there is a large population that, that due to the issues that they face, sometimes PTSD, that they feel more comfortable homeless than they do in society. And they're not running from anything. They, they literally feel like they're home. And it's hard to have that conversation with them and get them to re-engage into a society that often doesn't understand them, right? And that they are who they are because they were protecting that society. The community service council is really good when that flag goes up. When we finally got a veteran that says, I'm ready to come in and I've seen it, uh, you know, it's a wraparound service. They know exactly who to call to get out there. They know exactly how to get them into services and it's just follow on. And they, and they have that warm handoff. It's not a cold handoff. Uh, the community service council with the, with the veterans, Oklahoma veterans Alliance that 
man, I, what I really love about what they do is that warm handoff because so many organizations be like, Hey, that's not my job. I'm not going to give you, you know, food or money or anything because I'm just here for doing benefits with the VA. But this other cat down the street, man, they do that. So here you go talk to them. The difference is, is that with that uh, Oklahoma Veterans Alliance, that, that they make that phone call and they hand that receipt off. And then they call back and say, hey, here's the number. Here's the person you're going to talk to. And then they reach back and they call that person to make sure that veteran walked in the door. And if they did, then we call it, then they call that veteran. So I can't think of any better service than that right there to make sure our veterans get from point A to point B. Did I quote it wrong, Rachel? No, that's really, I mean, my gosh, you need to be the placard for our programs. <laughs> but I have personally seen it and I've seen it work and it, it really is it's extraordinary. The important thing is even long before they even realize they might be interested in coming in from out of the cold is that we develop a relationship with them so they know where to come when the day comes that they decide, you know what, I've had enough of this and I got to get out of it. I got to find someplace that's safer and warmer for me. It, as we develop that relationship, it's not really about, you know, forcing them or insisting that they, they think that, you know, housing is four walls and a piece of carpet. We need to, you know, help them where they're at initially, meet them at their, their location, work with them. If they're, if they want something or need something at the time, that's fine. If they want to stay where they're at, that's fine as well. But eventually, like I said, I, I mean, I can remember right off the top of my head, two older gentlemen, probably in their late fifties, maybe even early sixties that, that just one day called the 211 number and said, Hey, I need, I need help. We had known of them in the community. And so it wasn't that hard to engage with them and, you know, do all the, the case management and that housing services and finding what they needed. And, you know, they tell us where they really wanted to go to and that kind of thing. Housing, I mean, not, you know, not go, <laughs> but it, it's easy to do if you establish that relationship. If you think you're just going to walk up to somebody and say, you're homeless and I'm here to help you, you've got some, you to you just step back and, and take a lesson because that's really not the case. I've worked with individuals before that insist that everybody wants a house and that being four, again, four walls and a little piece of carpet. And that is just not the case. I've seen, you know, several different uh, veterans who are living outside and they've set up some pretty cool little places that they're real comfortable in. It's just what Josh alluded to is that that's their place and that's where they want to be for now. And we need to respect that. We need to, that they need to be able to maintain their dignity where they want to be and how they want to be. And with the day, when the day comes that they want those four walls and a piece of carpet, then we're here for them. So, uh, Josh, you were a, a campaign fellow in 2018. And that means that basically you came to the United Way and you helped us during that campaign season raise millions and millions and millions of dollars. Why did you want to do that? I had worked in the nonprofit world through veterans a lot. And so I, everything I knew was very, was very veterany, right? And it, for lack of a better word. So when I had the opportunity through my employer to go to the United Way as a, you know, as a campaign fellow, it was really awesome. Like I went down there and I learned a lot and I, I highly recommend it to everybody uh, because it does, it opens your eyes up to the community at whole. You know, I think that's the first time I really bumped into the community service council at that point in time because United Way helps. And so. And that's really where I started making connections outside of kind of my own organization. But I loved it, uh, you know, raising the money, getting out there, you know, for everyone. So I keep up with the campaign and make sure everybody's, you know, given and all of that. You know, even once you've worked on there and you're still not there, like you're still pushing the mission because you know how important it is to our community. To keep the day center for the homeless open, uh, to get our 
those brothers and sister agencies that are out there and keep them afloat, that when veterans do come in, they have a place that when they have that, that life emergency, when they do have that moment, when they crash and they do need help, like they've been band-aiding it together. They've been doing everything they can to look normal, to walk a straight line, to make sure that they blend in with society. And finally they've hit in that point where they can't hide it anymore. And instead of but going into a veterans organization, you know, the family or the workplace will bring them into a place, uh, you know, that the United Way supports, or they just hit that on their own. Having that safety net there, because we do, like the Community Service Council and other organizations, we have those triggers that as soon as a veteran hits that safety net, we know we can step in and we can specialize on the wraparound services for veterans. That's really the importance for me when it comes to veteran services and when it comes to donating to the United Way. Without that safety net there, we won't see those veterans when they fall. We won't know how to get to them. You know, by the, or by the time we do, you know, it's, it's really hard. I tell people all the time, what if you could get to an alcoholic that moment before they take that drink that crashes their life, that moment before that DUI, that moment before the, the marriage breaks down, that moment before they make that poor choice that, that's going to cause years of recovery, that moment when they're still hanging together, if you could get to them in that moment and you could convince them to put the bottle down, get the treatment, get into recovery, how much human wreckage could you avoid, right? That's what we try to do in the veterans community is we are always reaching out there. We're always watching for veterans that are right there on the edge and trying to bring them in before they go over that cliff, you know, before they get to that point so that we can do that. Those agencies that the United Way supports helps us do that. They're the ones that send up those flags and say, hey, we've got a veteran here. We need you guys to come take a look at this. Or they send them to us and say, hey, how about call this guy and see what they can do. All right. Well, I appreciate you both being here today with us. As we do at the end of every show, I ask our guests to tell us about their why, why they live united. So, Rachel, we'll start with you and then we'll have Josh close out the podcast with his why. I guess because my, my service time, it's kind of what Josh already inferred is that we're here to serve and there's so many people that are in need that I feel like, I thought about that this morning, you know, I, ever since I've gotten out of service, I've continued to always do things in the community and help. And I really have a hard time understanding why more people don't understand that, you know, to, to help out somebody is the highest form of service ever. And you don't even know when that right moment might be. So I think the United, United Way is such a great organization and, and what they provide for the community is phenomenal. You know, uh, Living United is is really, it's it's in, and as Rachel said, it's integrated into your service before. It's that selfless service, it's that sacrifice. Uh, what drove me and has driven me continually is that, you know, the, the personnel that I lost in Afghanistan and the lives they would have lived and trying to make up for that in some small way because uh, I got to come home and see my son. And then when we got back, we, uh, we lost 15. Uh, we lost more to suicide in the first year. Mm -hmm. you? We have lost and lost and lost. And at some point you have to put your foot down and say, I'm not losing any. The enemy is not taking any more of my soldiers as long as I can help it. You don't know when it's going to hit. You don't know who. But the best you can do is keep these services available, keep them open, make sure that they have a place to go when they hit rock bottom and make sure that we're there to scoop up after they hit those places. And like I said, Living United is all about that. The United Way keeps that safety net in place for our veteran and organizations like Rachel's and mine, men were there, we fly right in to grab them as soon as they hit that safety net. But that's why Living United is so important.